Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. Okay, so um, last week, by the way, we were talking about how uh, when the Holy Spirit showed up, there was a lot of these implications from the Old Testament, and we're going to continue to talk about that now because we're looking at the role of the Holy Spirit starting at Pentecost. And um, last week we read the the Pentecost account, which, if you're not familiar, takes place in Acts chapter 2. So, real quick historical recap, Christ resurrects, he appears to hundreds of people over the course of 40 days, and he tells his disciples before he ascends into heaven that they are to wait and to pray because that the one that has been promised is going to be sent to them. And so they go into what we now refer to as the upper room, and they wait. There's 120 in the upper room. Last week we talked about the fact that the number 120 actually has significance because in Judaism, 120 people was the number required to start a new community. And so the church is going to be this new family of God, this new community that's going to break down all the barriers. It's no longer going to be confined to the Hebrew people. And they're to wait. And then the Holy Spirit is sent uh, from the Father, proceeds from the Father, and uh, tongues of fire land on their heads. They begin speaking in other tongues, which were known languages because we know that because the um, Hellenistic Jews and Jews from around the world had come into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and to stay for Pentecost. And um, they were in the streets, and they were from all over the world, and they hear these people in the upper room proclaiming the glory of the Lord in their own language. And so uh, that is the advent of the church. The church begins at that point. So let's just talk about this idea of Pentecost. What was Pentecost? Where does Pentecost come from? Well, there were three major Hebrew festivals that were established by God in the Old Testament. The first one, anyone want to guess? Yes, give you guys a gold star, otherwise known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Pesach. Now, um, y'all may have heard the term Pascha. Has anybody heard the term Pascha? Okay, so Pascha is the Greek word for what we call Easter. And Easter has become Passover, and Passover has become Easter because Christ was actually crucified on Passover. So, um, but the Hebrew word is Pesach, and uh, this is uh, laid out in Exodus chapter 12. And just again to kind of give everybody a recap so that we're all on the same page, the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. We all pretty much know the story. Moses uh, is sent by God to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. There are nine plagues. He doesn't yield with any of the nine plagues. So the tenth plague is going to be the death of the firstborn children of Egypt. And uh, the the angel of death is going to uh, go throughout Egypt and take the life of every firstborn. But God says, 
um, I'm going to uh, give you a way as the nation of Israel to avoid this plague. And that is, you will take a spotless lamb, you will slaughter the lamb according to a certain procedure, you will then take the blood of that lamb, you will put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your home. And when the angel of death comes, if they see the blood, the angel of death will pass over your home and your firstborn will be spared. And that's the name Passover. And God ordains in Exodus 12, before it's even happened, He tells them what's about to happen is going to be a, a timeless memorial. It's going to happen forevermore that you're going to remember what happened. And He gives them exactly what the process was going to be. Next, we have the Feast of Weeks, known as Shavuot. And we're going to come back to that one. So I'm going to skip it for now. And then we have the Feast of Booths, or Sukkoth. Now, the Feast of Booths is prescribed in Leviticus 23. And the Feast of Booths celebrated the waiting of the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai for the law to be delivered from Moses. So they were living in tents. And so once a year, they were ordained to go out into the open space and live in a tent for a week as a reminder of that process and the, and the anticipation of the law being handed down. So the second one, the Feast of Weeks, is also called Pentecost, Shavuot. Now, it is most more exactly the Feast of Seven Weeks, because beginning on the day of Passover, which was the 16th of Nisan, or Nisan, which was one of the Hebrew months, the Israelites would count 49 days. And then the next day was a Sabbath day, so that was the 50th day, and that would be when the celebration would take place. So Pentecost is for the number 50. And this number 50 is going to be very significant. We're going to talk about that um, as well. But it is the 50th day, thus Pentecost. And it's, it's prescribed in Leviticus 23. So Leviticus 23, 15 through 17 says, you were to count seven complete weeks, starting from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the uh, presentation offering. You were to count 50 days until the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Bring two loaves of bread from your settlements as a presentation offering, each of them made from four quarts of fine flour baked with yeast as first fruits to the Lord." So Pentecost is an agricultural festival, and they also had to offer other things, bulls, rams, doves. But the biggest thing was that you have these, um, this, this grain offering, so you have, um, you have wheat and you have, um, what was the other one? Uh, I can't remember, but oh, barley. So you have barley at the beginning, and you have wheat at the end, and, and, and that's kind of the bookend. So barley happened at Passover, and wheat at um, Shavuot, or Pentecost. And so they're celebrating the harvest at that point. So Pentecost has forevermore been connected to Sinai. Now, who knows what happened at Sinai? Exactly, the Ten Commandments. Y'all have all seen uh, the movie. This is good. Um, so, yeah, okay, yeah, exactly, Charlton Heston. So, um, 
so the you know Moses goes up on the mountain and he gives or he receives the law and the, the what was called the covenant is established at Sinai. So Pentecost also has this connection with the concept of jubilee and the year of jubilee because every 50 years they had a sabbath of sabbaths. So you have the 50th day is Pentecost and Jubilee is the 50th year. And so Pentecost and Jubilee get connected as well in the mind of the Israelites. And so this is prescribed in Leviticus 25. You were to count seven sabbatical years, seven times seven years, so the time period of the seven sabbatical years amounts to 49. Then you are to sound a ram's horn loudly in the seventh month, and on the tenth day of the month you will sound it throughout your land on the Day of Atonement. You are to consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee when each of you is to return his property and each of you to his clan. The fiftieth year will be your jubilee. You are not to sow, reap what grows by itself, or harvest its unintended vine, or untended vines. It is to be holy to you because it is the jubilee. You may only eat the produce directly from the field. So, any so in the fiftieth year, any ancestral lands that you had sold off, they got returned to you. Any debts that you owed they were forgiven. If you were someone who had gone into voluntary servitude, slavery, you were set free on that day. So the 50th year is this year of liberation and the year that all the debts are paid, the year that all the slaves go free. This is the, 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 the uh, Sabbath of Sabbaths, 50. Any questions about that? Any questions so far about Pentecost? Have we got it so far? Okay, so the significance of Pentecost in the Hebrew culture was a couple of things. Um, and again, keep in mind that Jubilee and Pentecost are going to start to be connected as concepts in their mind. Um, when you read, like, we know from uh, pe reading people like Josephus, and there's even some Babylonian history that we have attained archaeologically, we can understand that they made this connection culturally between Jubilee and Pentecost. Was Pentecost in a Jubilee year? Yes. It was? it was held every year. So Pentecost happens every year. No, but the Pentecost, the, the one Jubilee, that happened. Did that happen to be a Jubilee year, or do we not? We, uh, we don't really know. Um, one thing we think, this is kind of off subject, but it's interesting maybe, is that um, there's a lot of uh, scholarship that Christ was actually born during the Feast of Booths. And there's some, some potential theological significance about that. But one of the reasons why we think that is that John, when he says um, he made his dwelling among us, the actual word is he tabernacled with us. And the Feast of Booths was the Feast of Tabernacles because every tent was a tabernacle. And they think that John was being very specific there when he said he tabernacled among us. Okay. Good question. Anything else? Okay, so the first one is that God had freed the Israelites from slavery in 
Egypt. The second um, significant thing is God had fulfilled His promise to give them the Holy Land. Because remember, what does the Passover represent? Well, sort of. Yeah, but it really meant the exodus, right? We get out of slavery. But we aren't, we get to leave a bad situation, but we're not yet in a good situation, right? We're in the desert for a little while. Going to the land promised Abraham. Exactly. So when they get to Pentecost, or when they get to the uh, Feast of Weeks, what are they celebrating? What are they waving over their heads? No. Bread. Why can they wave bread? Well, what does it take to have bread? Wheat. What do you have to do to have wheat? Land. You must plant it. You must be able to sit in a place, plant it, grow it, turn it into flour, and then turn it into wheat. That was an amazing thing for the Israelites who have been wandering around in the desert. So the fact that they have... Pentecost is a celebration that they've actually entered into the promised land. Does this make sense? God's fulfilled the promise. And then last, God's provided them rest from their labors because what happens at the harvest? That's right. At the harvest time, the work ceases for a little while, doesn't it? Like we think in our modern culture that summer is the time to party. For 6,000 years of history, summer was the time you worked the absolute hardest you could work. Because, you know, you've planted the seeds, but now everything is going to conspire to take that crop from you. You've got pests. You've got scorching heat. You've got a lack of water. You've got to tend to it. You've got raiders who might come in. You've got, you know, I don't know what the... Uh, Middle Eastern version of a squirrel is, but you got stuff coming in <laughs> trying to take your take your seed, take your stuff, right? You're working really, really, really hard through the summer and through that first part of what would then become the autumn or the fall to get the harvest done. And when the harvest is out, woo, now it's time to party. This is why there were so many harvest festivals anciently, was that was the time that you really let loose, you let your hair down, so to speak, is that the hard work was done. You'd entered into a place of rest. By the way, this is a, a totally different thing, but something that I think is really significant is that there's a lot of scripture, or there's several places in scripture where it says that God can replace what the locusts have eaten. Have you ever heard that? Okay, well, we read that and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he can replace what the locusts have eaten. But I want you to think about this. You survive for a year on the crop you brought in last year. The crop you brought in last year sustains you until you have another crop, which is not going to happen for a year. And the seed you get makes the next crop happen from the first crop. Now imagine a plague of locusts comes and eats the crop. You don't go to the grocery store and buy some new groceries to replace that crop. You feel absolute despair at that moment. Because you're staring down the barrel of a solid year 
of no way to sustain yourself. And you don't even have seed to create the crop that will, re re will solve the problem a year from now. And Scripture says God will replace that which the locusts have eaten, meaning He will sustain you. I mean, when we think about that, I mean, in light of especially what Pastor Wayne's preaching on now, I mean, this idea of being able to completely trust the Lord even in that moment. I just have really uh, meditated on that idea of the crop is gone. Like, where do we go from here? Isn't that what happened to Jacob's family? Yes, no, no question. That's exactly right. Yep. Okay. So, let's talk about Pentecost from the perspective of foreshadowing and fulfillment. Because Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And this is the thing, is that He is the total fulfillment of every picture, every jot and tittle, so to speak, of the Old Testament. The first is that in the Old Testament, you had 50 days of anticipation. You were anticipating the Feast of Weeks. You were anticipating the harvest. The day between days between Passover and the Feast of Weeks was symbolic of that time in the desert when we've gotten out of slavery, but now we're looking forward to when will the first fruits happen? When will the harvest happen? When will we finally have rest? When will we finally be in a place that we can call our homeland? And when they were finally on holy soil, the land of Canaan, that's when they were able to have the Feast of Weeks. So, in the Old Testament, um, Pentecost or Shavuot was built around this idea of anticipation. It's almost like, I mean, it's, it, today, you know, we look forward to Christmas, right? We like count down the days, like the, tw the 12 days of Christmas or whatever. We have our little advent calendars and we like open the little flap one at a time. You know, well, they would anticipate for 50 days. They would really look forward to it. And they'd reenact this kind of psychology of we're in the desert and we have the promised land coming. Next, the first fruits idea. And by the way, so real quick, this is exactly what Christ does. He resurrects, but we don't immediately get to the fruits. We have to wait. They're told, wait, don't do anything, just sit and wait. And by the way, that might sound like no big deal to us, but I know that most of us in our modern context are not good at waiting. We're not good at waiting at all. I mean, I think, I look at how people flip out when the presidential election isn't announced the night of. Like, back before there was 24-hour news, <laughs> You literally, like if you lived in California in the back in the day, like you had to wait for some guy on a horse to show up and go, hey, by the way, this is who won. He's been president for three months now. You know, it's like that's, that's what happened. But we, we are so like, give it to me right now. And then put yourself in the, in the shoes of the apostles. Were they, did they, do you think they felt very safe no. in those 50 days? They were being hunted. Exactly. Being hunted down. In fact, Peter, right? He denied Christ. Why did he deny Christ? You know, we can look at him like, that Peter, he was so immature. Oh my goodness. He, he's terrified. He's in the midst of all these people. It's a, it's a mob scene. Most of us are afraid to post something on social media because we don't want to get canceled. 
It's like that's our martyrdom as we get canceled on Twitter. <laughs> and yet we can look down at, you know, somebody like Peter. And I'm speaking for myself there too, right? Well, they had to wait. They had to just sit and do nothing in a room for 50 days waiting. Well, so, just a, Peter didn't have the power of the Spirit yet. Correct. He didn't have the boldness and the courage that comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Correct. Well, and, you know, yes. What was the purpose of 50 days of anticipation? What, what was the... What's the message? What do we need to learn from that? Well, I think what God has done, and I'm, I'm going to show you some of that as we keep going through this. That's a good question. Because it's a question I asked. Like, okay, well, why Pentecost? Like, God could have sent the Holy Spirit. There's 365 days a year, and there's one day you celebrate Pentecost. So why is that the day he sends the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it's because um, it's remarkable as you study the Old Testament all of the things that God has orchestrated. And it's a big faith builder when you start to connect all these dots because you're like, my gosh, who has the foresight to have seen all of this stuff and orchestrate it in such a way? And one of the things he does is he establishes this pattern of the 50 days, the 50 days, the 50 days, and then he fulfills that pattern once we get to the first century and once we get to Christ. Does that make sense? So it's the, it's the 50 days, the 49 plus 1 to be the Feast of Weeks, and then it's the 50, 49 plus 1 in the year of Jubilee. And so he's established that number. Yeah. And when Moses gave the one upon Sinai, was that, that was, would have been during Pentecost. Yeah, so it, was, it would have been after Pentecost. Oh, it was after? Yes. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry. No, I'm just, Pentecost, came, the first festival came after Sinai. They had to get to the promised land before they could celebrate it. See, I don't remember where they celebrated Pentecost in the promised land. I mean, in the desert. They didn't. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought I may have missed it. No, 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 they didn't. Um, They were told in Leviticus, this is what's going to happen. When you get to Canaan, because by the way, it's in Leviticus 23, I think that is the first time, but then it's repeated, like he repeats the instruction in Deuteronomy, like Deuteronomy, just as an aside, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible, and it's just, um, because Deuteronomy is like Moses' last will and testament, and he's like, this is what you have to remember above all things. And you can just see literally the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, like all throughout, um, all throughout the, um, the book of Deuteronomy. So he repeats a lot of what he lays out in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Exodus. He repeats it in like a summarized form once he gets to Deuteronomy. But they didn't actually celebrate it until they got to Canaan. Wondered because of the significance. Remember the two thousand or three thousand that died, and then the three thousand of the law, and then the spirit. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was kind of wondering. I wonder if it was along the same lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I just know that this idea that God is establishing this notion of there was the Passover, there was the waiting, then there was the celebration, and we're going to see those connections here in one second. Okay. Are there symbols in in the day of Pentecost? Yes. Yes. Because that's, it's all symbolic. To... Correct. So that, this brings us to this, which is one example, Mike, of what you're saying, which is the first fruits. So they offered the first fruits of the wheat harvest, um, as laid out in, in Leviticus 23, 17, on the day of Pentecost. But the new Pentecost, 
God's going to offer the first fruits, which is then going to become his church. And we saw Christ start to set up this picture with something that he says in the book of John. And that is, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. One of the things that they had to do in the celebration is they had to offer the first seeds. They just tossed them to the ground. Now, seed was very valuable. If you don't think it's valuable, ask Monsanto. They're really very, very serious about seed. When you got that harvest, the seed, that was your next harvest. That was your next crop. In fact, um, it was not uncommon for many centuries for wedding gifts to be bags of seed. That's good as cash. Exactly. So the first thing you did was you, you dumped the seed as an offering. Lest the seed fall to the ground, it can't produce fruit. This is a totally another aside, but something else that we read in the Old Testament that we just walk over is this idea of the drink offering. Have you all ever heard of the drink offering? You take the wine, you were to pour it out. Of course, we know it wasn't really wine because God's anti-alcohol. It was actually just grape juice. But um, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm making jokes I shouldn't make. And we've got guests, and they're like, I, 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 I don't know you. I don't want to hear this. Just, yeah, just give us the scripture. Anyway, so um, he would, we would pour out the wine. Well, here again, you didn't go down to Total Wine and Spirits and buy your, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon. You had to make the wine. You had to grow the grapes. You had to procure the grapes. You had to ferment them. You had to crush them. You had to do all the process to get a flask or a, 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 a you know, like a, a, what do you call it, a skin full of wine, right? Okay, well, if you take that little bit you've got and just go, I know people who can go to Total Wine and Spirits and they won't just dump it out, right? Like, I see waitresses who come up to the table and they're like, ooh, are you done with that? Because there's like a little surface area of the glass still has some drink in it. It's like, no, I, I need every drop of that. It was a big deal to take that and just go, this is yours, Lord. The first fruits are yours. Does that make sense? Okay, so first fruits. So John says, lest, or Christ says in John, lest a grain of wheat fall to the ground. Well, Paul keeps making this connection between the old Pentecost and the new Pentecost. He says in Romans 8.23, not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the what? First fruits. We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So in the Old Testament Pentecost, they celebrated the first fruits. Then in the New Testament, in the second chapter of Acts, what happens? We get the first fruits of which is the Holy Spirit. So it was a celebration of first fruits. It continues to be. Ephesians, he keeps making this connection. In him you also were seated with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. We're going to talk about this a lot when we talk about the role the Holy Spirit plays in the new covenant. Um, in the coming weeks. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Yes? 
Okay, I hate to do this to you, but nope. I had a question about two minutes ago. Okay, let's go. <laughs> so, the time between Easter or Passover, yep. which was set by the time of year. Yep. Are they really harvesting only 50 days later? Like, it seems like, because we're about to hit Pentecost in, what, early June? Mm-hmm. Well, is it just a wholly different climate there? Because I'm thinking harvest mm-hmm. is like fall. Mm-hmm. You're asking a really good question. Okay. <laughs> and it's because we we don't they um, we don't do it that way anymore. We do it like it they when they when they were celebrating it originally it was it was told to them to do it 49 days later, right. yeah. 50 days later. Does that make sense? So they're celebrating their harvest before they actually have their harvest. No, they have the harvest. They have the harvest. They have the harvest. Yes. Okay. So my disconnect is between the time and the season. Yes. So well, they and live in Texas. I mean, well, <laughs> the 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 reality too is um, that when we celebrate Easter is probably not exactly when okay. Easter happened. Correct. Did they have more than one growing season too? Nope. I mean, not really. Okay. Okay. Wait, all right. So you're doing the same math. Huh? Okay. Just, I'm having a little trouble with the first fruit. Mm-hmm. As I think of, as I think of that, I think of that giving, us giving that to God. Mm-hmm. But in the previous verse, mm-hmm. it sounded like God was giving us the first fruit. Mm-hmm. We are the okay. first fruit. Yep. The Holy Spirit. Yes. The new covenant. I don't know. I, I, I understand that, but... Feels backwards. Feels backwards. It does feel backwards. <laughs> it's a reversal. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout-out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.